Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. My name is Greg March. I'm a, an elder and a worship director here at Cornerstone, and today I have the privilege to continue our Advent sermon series with emphasis on what it means to have God come to this earth to give us hope and a future through His Son, Jesus Christ, also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Today, my sermon is titled, God with us brings joy. And so my sermon centers on the topic of joy. We've all experienced joyful moments at one time or another and have stories we all could share. So I think it's fitting to start my sermon by telling you a story of one of my joyful moments that many of you could probably share or relate to. It's a baby story, but really it's a father story. When Michelle and I were expecting our first child, we attempted to prepare ourselves. And what that really meant is Michelle, sitting right over there, decided to read a whole bunch of books and become educated on the subject. And she was educated on every related topic. She was learning all the steps during pregnancy to ensure that she was staying healthy and the baby would develop healthily and well. And this included the right diet and vitamins and regular checkups and ultrasound tests to check the progress of the baby's development. And she had this one book in particular that she frequently referred to that was titled, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Probably many of you know this book. Well, Michelle's intense preparation reminded me of a Chinese proverbial story. There was this young woman from the family of Wang who married her cousin from the same family, and they also were about to have their first child. And within their culture, about every few hundred years, an albino male child of a lighter descent was born to some fortunate family, and this albino child would ultimately become a good and compassionate ruler of the village during his reign. The Wongs badly wanted to be the ones to have this child and be the blessing for their village. So in their impatience, they went to the local wise man, who sometimes had prophetic insights, and they asked him whether perhaps they could be the one to carry this special child. But unfortunately, with sadness in his heart, the wise man looked in their eyes and said, two Wongs don't make a white. Hey, I told you it was a father story. There's some bad, bad dad jokes in there. <laughs> well, while Michelle and I had no such aspirations for our child, nevertheless, Michelle was as prepared as anyone could be. My preparation, however, was different. I read no books. She read enough of them for both of us and let me know what I should know. And I tried to support her in any way that I could and made sure that she had what she needed. And we took classes together on how to prepare, how to work together to support the delivery of the baby, and we looked at books of names and picked out an appropriate name for our coming child. And we also decided how, where, and who we would trust to deliver our baby. And with all this, we were as prepared as we could be. Then the day came that the baby would come. Our preparation seemed to be paying off. We got to the birthing center without a hitch, and the staff was ready, and we went through all the various stages of labor together. Everything was progressing seemingly well as expected. The books seemed to nail it. 
But frankly, despite all the wisdom of the best of these books, I guarantee you there were no books ever written that could compare us for what came once our child arrived. This was not about a baby being born, but about the arrival of a new person, a new soul into the world. The child was wide awake, and her big eyes were wide open, and they were studying me. Just as much as I had, just as much as she had arrived in our lives, I had arrived in her life. It was overwhelming and evoked emotions that I was not prepared for. Through this experience, I, not, I learned not only about my newly arrived daughter, but about a great many other things. I met Michelle in a new way. I saw her perseverance and determination and grace through incredible hardship, and I saw her embracing her role as a mother in this journey. I also met myself in this new role. I knew I was the father intellectually, but I didn't really know the real meaning of being a father until it actually washed up on my shores like a big warm wave. And it was exciting, and I was full of purpose and resolve. And lastly, I met God in a new way. My baby girl's arrival was not just an act of biology or some cosmic accident. It was clearly an act of God. And God was just as much there and celebrating with us as we were. This moment and experience were pure joy, and it marked me about as deeply as any experience I had ever had. Joy that went deep and brought up emotions became part of who we were, part of who we are, and part of our story. Strangely enough, in fact, days before she was born, we selected Joy as her middle name, and as it still is today. This was our story of joy that we could not contain, and so we shared it. And as you might imagine, there were many, many other people who wanted to share in this news of a new family member in our lives and wanted to share our joy. But it wasn't just families and friends. Everywhere we went, whether we went to the store or the restaurants, there were people who would come and see this baby and would share our joy. And that's how joy is. It overflows. It, and when you've experienced joy, you want to share it with everyone else that you can. It bubbles over and it touches everyone it comes in contact with. Joy is what we're celebrating on this third Sunday of Advent. If you've been journeying with us the past two weeks toward Christmas, you know that we have been celebrating Advent. As a quick recap, the word Advent just simply means coming or arrival, and is the season marked by expectation, waiting, and anticipation. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to get ready for his second coming. In that spirit, I would like to turn your attention to another Advent story, another story of arrival, another story of joy. And yes, it involves more babies. This is the historical account of Elizabeth that is recorded in the book of Luke and her story of joy overcoming shame. Let's turn to the story in your Bible from the, in the book of Luke, chapter 1, so you can follow along. And if you don't happen to have a Bible, um, please raise your hand and some folks will come over and bring you a Bible from our table over here. Just consider it as a gift from Cornerstone to you for you to keep and refer to in the future. So if you were with us two weeks ago, you remember when uh, my fellow elder Mark shared about Zechariah. Luke 1 tells us the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were the parents of John the Baptist who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah. Zechariah was a priest 
who received a visit from the angel Gabriel that told him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. But there was a catch here. Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old. Elizabeth was beyond her childbearing years, and the couple had never been able to have kids because Elizabeth could not conceive. So besides the shock of talking to an angel, Zechariah couldn't get over the fact that it was possible for his wife to have a baby. And as a result of his unbelief in this matter, Gabriel caused Zechariah to become unable to speak at all until the child was born. But today, let's look a little closer at Elizabeth, because in the story of God with us, she deeply experienced joy in the midst of the miraculous events she found herself suddenly in the middle of. To understand Elizabeth's joy, however, we have to understand a little bit about her pain. You see, for the ancient Jews, children were considered a tremendous blessing. Psalms 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Children allowed a family to pass on its name and its heritage. They provided more hands to do daily tasks and to carry on the family business. But most importantly, children were a gift from God and a sign of God's favor. So to be childless, in Elizabeth's case, then, was a source of great frustration, sorrow, and shame. And Elizabeth would have known this despair for years, and she most likely would have married Zachariah when she was a younger teenager in hope that she would have children and be able to hold her own babies at that time and have a house full of children. She might have made lists of names to name these children, drawing from family names that would be passed down traditionally from her family line. At first... She might have dismissed failures of early pregnancies. Maybe the timing wasn't right to conceive. Or maybe like many of you in in this room have experienced, there was a pregnancy and an associated joy that comes in your heart when you feel the news and, and know that that new life has sprung in the womb. Maybe out of her joy, she told people that she was pregnant. But then something happened, a miscarriage, perhaps. While physically hard and emotionally painful, Elizabeth might have dismissed one or two of these as perhaps a fluke, but many times as the pregnancy began, it ended prematurely. Friends and family probably offered some sort of encouragement or advice, and sometimes that advice, while seeming well-intentioned, might have been rather hurtful. I mean, you've heard people give, you know, in, in cases they might say something like, well, maybe there's sin in your life, or maybe we did this and tried, but maybe something is wrong with you. Intentions, but nevertheless, can be hurtful sometimes. Who knows how long it took, but gradually, year after year, Elizabeth's hope would have slowly died as she came to terms with the fact that something was wrong that would prevent her from having a child. At some point, the social stigma would stick. Barren, they would call her. It's a shameful and permanent mark. Elizabeth would have grieved over never having to be a mother. Elizabeth would have had to accept the loss of the status that came in her culture from bearing children. 
she would never be considered as blessed, worthy, and esteemed as other women would be. She accepted her fate as a failure in the eyes of her society. Still, Elizabeth must have known some happiness as well, and would have been deeply involved in community life, especially since Zachariah was a priest. And, through, and though she carried her emotional burden for quite some time beneath the surface, she and Zechariah remained faithful to God. Luke describes them like this. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This is how they plan to live out the rest of their old age, serving God and the people around them. And then God came. On an ordinary day with Zechariah at work in the temple, the angel Gabriel showed up out of the blue with this miraculous message. Zechariah couldn't even tell his wife what the angel had said. He would have either had to write it down if Elizabeth could read, which is not likely at that time. So he perhaps had to use signs and gestures like a game of charades to explain to her this very complex message to enable her to understand the events that were to occur. Elizabeth must have thought she was getting the message wrong when she heard it at first, or at least figured it out from the charades. It seemed to be good to be true. Hope must have kicked in her heart like the thump of a baby in the womb. But could she allow herself to go there? Could she open her heart to the possibility after hoping and waiting and praying for so long, only once again to be let down? From what we can tell from Luke's account, it's not exactly clear how or whether Elizabeth initially accepted the miraculous news from her husband. But at some point, she realized the truth of the situation, and she proclaimed, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let's camp there for a second. She said, the Lord has done this for me. That's huge. That's personal. That's God. Who cares not only about us collectively as a nation, as a category, even as a church, but rather he cares about us each individually meeting each of our specific needs and teaching us how we each individually can grow to know him and love him better. Well, Luke's account also tells us that Elizabeth spent the first five months in seclusion. There's no way for us to know exactly why, but likely she had been, she had been here before and was afraid of a pregnancy that might again be lost like every other one. And maybe she couldn't bear going through that situation once again, that loss and the shame publicly again. Many of us have had miscarriages and can probably certainly relate to that line of reasoning. But what we do know is that in her sixth month of pregnancy, Elizabeth experienced a deep encounter with joy by the coming Messiah, whose life has just sprung in the womb in her cousin, Mary. As we discussed last week, young Mary left her home shortly after her own encounter with the angel Gabriel, and came to stay with her cousin Elizabeth for three months. As soon as Mary arrived, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a sudden end to her silence and seclusion, Elizabeth's joy overflowed, and she greeted Mary with a beautiful and insightful blessing. Blessed are you, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
Why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Joy had arrived and was flowing freely. And true to its nature, joy was contagious. Mary burst into her own song of praise and thanksgiving as she gave words to the miracle happening through her. But even without Mary having to explain this, Elizabeth knew and gave voice to exactly what was going on and came to realize what God had done for her, what God had done through her, and through her cousin to bring John and Jesus into the world. And more than anyone else, these two women understood and shared a joy that could no longer be contained, no matter how difficult the circumstances they were coming out of or were still facing ahead. Already, Emmanuel, God with us, was unleashing joy on the earth, even before he was born. Already, his joy had been rippling outwards. When Elizabeth gave birth to John three months later, the joy of her miracle spread through her village and family. Verse 57 says, Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Perhaps there is no greater joy than that of a mother holding her newborn child. For Elizabeth, that joy must have been especially overwhelming. She was experiencing a miracle. It was a miracle that healed a lifetime of hurt, pain, disrespect, and shame. And it was only the beginning of the miracles she would witness in her lifetime. So what would you and I give to have such joy? To see the scars and shame of our life washed away so dramatically. Most likely, we won't see that through such an obvious miracle. But the joy Elizabeth experienced is available to us. This is the joy brought about in our world by Jesus, God with us. And though we are living long after his time on this earth, his life and his joy are available to us now. The apostle Peter wrote, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. An inexpressible and glorious joy. That's deep stuff. Or as Mark would say, that's huge. This is the stuff that runs deeper than happiness. I mean, we love to be happy. We love to feel good. When happiness comes, it can kind of come and go as circumstances come and go, hour by hour, even potentially minute by minute. Happiness can come from many things. A summer vacation, a favorite song, a delicious meal, an encouraging message from a friend, or winning a big game. All these are good and enjoyable to, to savor for sure but all are temporary and fleeting. And pursuing happiness for the sake of happiness can be a very shallow and self-centered pursuit. So while joy encompasses happiness, joy itself runs much deeper and makes more lasting mark on our lives. Joy permeates our souls. 
In our lives, the stuff of joy looks like the birth of a child, our wedding day, being declared free of cancer for good, or seeing a prodigal come home. Joy is rooted in gratitude, meaning, and hope fulfill, especially when it is based in relationship with our Creator. Joy comes from God with us. Jesus is the source of our joy. Peter called it an inexpressible and glorious joy that is part of the inheritance we are receiving in Christ. With his life and promise of eternal life beyond this world, we find a deep kind of joy that fills us no matter what pain we face on this earth. Jesus explained this to his disciples about his coming death and resurrection using the example of joy following childbirth. He said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Just as Mike mentioned last week that nothing can separate you from God's love, in the same way, nothing can separate you from His joy. This joy is based on a confidence in what Jesus has already done and what He has the power to do. But there is another assurance that we can also have that would prevent anyone from taking away our joy. That's because following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ... He promised us the gift of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth when the baby leaped for joy in her womb. That same Spirit is available as a source of joy for us today. As Paul mentioned in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, as he was encouraging us to walk according to the Spirit, he identifies the fruit of the Spirit as being love joy, among a number of other positive attributes. By walking in the Spirit and not according to the flesh, our our lives demonstrate the evidence of the Spirit's work within us, and it comes out as a fruit, an inexpressible joy. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us promised by Jesus as a continual source of joy. As we turn our eyes expectantly to Jesus this Advent season, and as we walk with him toward a day when he will come again and fulfill his redemptive work, we can experience his joy in this process. And we can know with confidence an even greater unending joy awaits us one day. Reminds me of the hymn that says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. One day we will receive it in full, Yet even now we find hope and joy in what Jesus has done and what we know he will faithfully do in the future. So we compared happiness and joy a little bit ago, but there's one defining characteristic of joy that I hope you all take away today, and it is this, that joy defies circumstances. While happiness comes and goes with positive events and experience, joy flows deep even in the face of challenge, hardship, and suffering. Joy drawn from our source, Jesus, God with us, sees the big picture beyond the immediate pain. 
There are many scriptures that speak of having joy through trial and suffering. Here are a few. Later in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, said, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. And the author of Hebrews actually spoke of Jesus' joy, despite what he faced as an example of an encouragement to us. He wrote, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All of these verses exemplify drawing joy through confidence in what Jesus has done and has the power to do, which is a reward far greater and worthy of our immediate hardship. But while these verses I just read identify joy based upon very long-term benefits, James identified that having joy that defies circumstances has transformative impact on our own lives in this life. James said it in his, his own book. He said, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This has been my life verse, and it enables me by the Holy Spirit to recognize that this kind of joy in the face of difficulties is the beginning of a process that leads to greater faith, greater perseverance, greater maturity and completeness. It eliminates any dependence on anything other than God. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. It's how we mature as we face anything in life. We need to embrace these trials with joy so that we can transcend them and make sure that we do not miss what God wants to show us and teach us through them. This kind of joy served me especially well when I was going through my cancer journey that started three years ago. In short, in, in, on Christmas Eve of 2015, I learned that I had stage four colon cancer that had spread to my liver and gallbladder and my lymphatic system and some of the cancer was inoperable. My pronounced life expectancy from the experts was somewhere between 18 and 30 months. And basically, they had predicted that there was a greater of 90% chance of me being dead in three years. So my life verse became an opportunity to defy my circumstances by considering it all joy. And by considering it all joy, I had the opportunity to see beyond my cancer to increase my faith, to increase my perseverance, to increase my maturity, and increase my dependency on God. I did not want to miss the rich lessons that he had for me that were in this journey that were about to change what remaining life I had left on the earth. It's easy to miss those opportunities when you're focused on your circumstances and you have no source of joy. So what happened when I considered it all joy? I grew, I learned, I persevered and increased my dependence on God, and I had joy, and it showed. And the fact that it showed became an inspiration to my family who watched me go through it. It inspired people, even in this church, who were encouraged in their faith. 
But perhaps most unexpectedly, there were folks at my work who could not figure out how anyone under these circumstances could have joy. Whether I lived or died from the cancer, joy was my source from the Holy Spirit and was having an impact on my world far beyond anything I had ever tried. This kind of joy is foreign to a godless world. To see character born out of hardship by considering it a joy is unexpected and incredibly attractive. The world would normally resort to blame, despair, depression, and futility. This joy sets us apart. This joy is our fruit of the Spirit's work within us. It is the joy to the world. But on top of this, and just like Elizabeth, in the middle of my hardship, God came. Within seven months of when I had learned about my cancer, and after two major surgeries, I stood in a room of top cancer specialists telling me that not only did I not have any detectable cancer, both by scans a couple months previously and by physical evidence, but their quotes were this, this never happens. This is as good as it gets. I have never seen this. These are quotes from cancer experts. They would not have been saying this if they thought that they had anything to do with this perfect cancer recovery in such a short time frame. This was a miracle beyond their clinical experience, and, and, and they understood this even more than Michelle and I did. But Michelle and I both knew it was God. God came and worked a miracle in my body, and he again created a new and great source of joy in my extended life. And just like Elizabeth, I can say, the Lord did this for me. He rescued me. And believe me, it's huge, it's personal, and it's God. And that joy spills out everywhere I go. And in every conversation that offers an opportunity, he is teaching me to know and love him greater. God is always at work, especially in the tough times in life, and ultimately he will make everything right and healed and whole, including us. Because of that, we can experience joy in the here and now, no matter how bad the here and now looks and feels. Sure, there's a process involved, and that's part of the point. As we continue to practice opening our hearts to God's Spirit, immersing ourselves in His Word and aligning our thinking and our perspectives to His ways. We experience His Spirit working within us, bringing us clarity, understanding, and strength to trust and see and act in the joy He provides. So what are the circumstances you are facing right now as we journey toward Christmas? What are the situations that are stealing your joy? I know there is very real pain that is being experienced by many of us. I know personally a number of folks facing hardships. But can I encourage you to take another look from another angle? Can I encourage you to ask God to give you another view, his bigger picture, and, and that he can show and reveal to you his truth of what is in store? You may not experience a miracle as clear as Elizabeth's or mine, but in Advent and in Christmas, there is a miracle in it for all of us. The miracle of God who came to the earth to be with us, 
to heal us, to forgive us, to redeem us, and restore us. This is cause for joy, even in our darkest days. This was the message of the angel, long ago announcing the the arrival of Christ to the terrified shepherds in Bethlehem. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Jesus, who is God with us, has brought us joy no matter what we are facing. So as we come to a close of this message, I'd like to look at one more aspect of joy that we can apply and continue in our Advent focus. This is the fact that joy can be a choice. Joy can be an action. We talked about Mary in previous weeks, and we talked about her as she spent time with Elizabeth. Remember when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house? Elizabeth was overcome with joy, which spread to Mary. And when it did, the beginning of Mary's expression went like this. My soul glorifies the Lord, and, I, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. These are important words, with the key word being rejoices. It's an active form of joy. It's an action. And this, and this is Mary choosing and embracing joy in the role she had been given by God. Now, she didn't have to. She didn't, have to. she didn't ask to be the mother of God's son, especially at the very real risk of losing her marriage, her reputation, and potentially her life under the current law. If she had been asked, she might have decided not to embrace this great calling. And she certainly would not have been the first or the last to ever do so. But in Mary's words, we see her response. She rejoices. She chooses joy. She focuses on the big picture. She considers it all joy and decides to embrace her difficult role. In a similar way, in our own situations and seasons, we can do the same. We can choose joy. We can rejoice. We can embrace the miracle of God with us and align our vision with the work He is doing in and through us. The Bible is full of verses, exhorting and encouraging us to rejoice, probably because we need lots of reminders. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Romans 12.12 offers, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. While these verses state these truths in different, different ways, the message and the takeaway is the same. We have reason for joy because God is with us and we can choose to embrace it. Friends, let's choose to make this a season of joy. Let's rejoice in the arrival of Christ and let's celebrate his birth with joy. God is with us. And so his joy is with us, a joy that flows deep within our spirits and outward because our King, our Savior is with us, always loving, always working, even in the midst of any hardship that we could face. And now I'd like to invite you to please stand and let's just pray together as we close.
I'd like to pray from Psalms chapter 5 as part of as a benediction. Lord, let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Lord God, may we get it. May we choose joy, Lord God. May we celebrate, Lord, your son's coming today in our lives, in the past when he was born, and his second coming. That is coming again, as he promised, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us, Lord, joy as a fruit of your spirit, Lord God. And we want to walk in your spirit, Lord, so we can realize that joy and allow that joy to bubble over and be contagious and impact a world that badly needs it. And we give you, Lord, all honor and glory for the stories, Lord, that you have given those in the Bible and even those you are, you are developing in us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for listening and go with joy. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.